Today we're hearing the story of one first home buyer who moved to a regional area in order to be able to afford to buy a house and he's generously offered to share all of the mistakes he made along the way. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for you to become an educated home buyer. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and market loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. Allow us to guide you on your home buying journey. We want you to become an educated home buyer so that you can stop looking for your first home and actually become a proud homeowner. We've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. And there you'll get access to our free mini course, How to Price a Property Like a Professional. You will also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course for people who want to become educated home buyers. We created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, we've got the boring bit. The disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording. Things change rapidly, so always check with the relevant government authority and your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about the lessons learned by one first-time buyer who had access to some great advice but still feels he might have been able to do some things better. Before we get into that, what's your special house behind you in the video this week, Megan? This is just where I'd like to be. I am in 33-degree heat in Brisbane. That is where I want to be. On the beach. With a pool as well as a beach. It looks like a bungalow in maybe Fiji. By aspiration. Yeah, I'd like to be there too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're joined today by Damien Hoare, who is a finance analyst at Money Saver Home Loans. He's also a co-host of the Finance and Property Survival Guide podcast and self-described all-round great guy. Mm, we'll find out today, won't we? That's so good. <laughs> now, thank you so much, Damien, for joining us and for offering to share your own first home buyer journey with us today. Welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on. It's pretty cool to be here for sure. I'm really looking forward to this because you're not a your first home buyer guide student. That's okay. Mm. We forgive you. (laughs) Um, You decided to go it alone, obviously with the guidance of your dad, who is a mortgage broker. Can you fill us in on your backstory? Yeah, for sure. Firstly, this is a great like full circle moment because I used to watch uh, Location, Location, Location as a kid with my mum. So I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, Veronica. Is, yeah, sorry, no, sorry to feel, make you feel bad, Veronica, but also you like do what say a, we're old enough to be your mum. Yeah, yeah. What a it's a, definitely a full circle moment. It's quite odd for me to be here right now, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess the best way to start it, I finished high school. I don't know. It's probably coming up on ten years now, but I spent quite a few years just traveling about living in different places in Australia and and, uh, overseas and was pretty rubbish with money until COVID hit. Um, And I was forced to, I was living and working in a backpackers hostel in Vancouver, Canada, 
So I was living in like a dormitory in the middle. Imagine like uh, basically the equivalent of uh, living on like Burke Street in Sydney, um, right in the thick of things. And I lived there for about a year and a half, paying about $100 a week to live in a dormitory with a bunch of other crazy people uh, who were all backpackers like myself, making no money, but not really, you know, losing too much money, but didn't have a lot. I was pretty broke. COVID hit, came back to Australia and was living with my parents again as I think a 23, 22-year-old sort of, um, I guess, uh, didn't like that I had to be back living with my parents after sort of being independent for quite a few years. Uh, it's usually a bit of a culture shock for people, I'm sure. So my decision <laughs> from that point was I need to figure out how not to be broke. So uh, that was the uh, the origin of the podcast, and obviously, I guess we'll get into it later. the The origin of how to buy my first house, because I just I learned from enough people growing up, as well as from my dad and some of his work friends, that um, having one or two houses can't be a bad idea uh, when it comes to sort of setting yourself up financially. So I can sort of have some more freedom in my life to do what I want to do. So. Um, that was for just over or just under four years ago as we're recording this that that sort of happened to me with COVID and um, yeah now I've now I'm where I am I guess. So this is quite fascinating because I had no idea I, I, I knew about you and your mum but and I'd forgotten about that conveniently mm -hmm. um, but I had no idea that you'd been backpacking and basically living you know hand to mouth until COVID hit and then you mm. came home and that's like the catalyst. So obviously you moved in with mum and dad. Is that when you started working for your dad? Yeah, so um, at, at the time, so um, my dad spent about 30 odd years in the public service working for the tax office um, and Tony Abbott, um, Tony Abbott set up like a lot of redundancies to sort of thin out the public service and dad took that as an opportunity to get a redundancy. He sort of was a bit sick of the industry and wanted to have a break. So he got into mortgage broking a few years later and always wanted me to join him, but I was not super uh, I was not super enthusiastic at the idea of being part of a family business because my idea of a family business was probably, I don't know, it felt more like I was getting a free ride than it did um, earning my own way in the world, I guess. So I was sort of uh, I didn't I didn't get involved with my dad's business until a bit later. Um, I didn't do much work wise. Uh, I think a lot of people like lost jobs during the start of COVID. I was one of those people. My job was redundant back in Canada. So I, I just sort of stuck around Newcastle where my, where I grew up for a couple of months, took a, took a job uh, up in Northern New South Wales, working at a prison as a prison guard for a little bit, which was how I was able to save a bit of my money for my house deposit. Um, but that might be a story for another podcast. And then after that, after that job, um, I decided I wasn't going to stick at the prison up in northern New South Wales. Uh, I wanted to come back to Newcastle. And my dad was like, come on, just this is a sign. Please start working with me and see if you enjoy it. And that was, I guess, like late 2020. That would have been I would have started working with him. Yeah. So me, my mum and my dad run the business together. My dad, I say to everybody, my dad's the head honcho and me and my mum are like the little foot soldiers that help get everything done and do all the stuff in the back uh, behind the scenes and he's the mortgage broker. So it's good fun. I enjoy it a lot. It's pretty rewarding to uh, help people buy houses, but also um, all the money we make is staying in the family, which is quite rewarding too. That's a really interesting story and, and it makes me think about a lot of... Um generational real estate businesses as well because often the you know a successful um 
mum or dad, the child goes away and works somewhere else before they come into the business. And it's actually, I'm thinking of quite a lot of examples in Brisbane where that's happened because you get that feeling of independence and being away, but then you bring back the skills and the independence into the business and, and can stand on your own two feet within your family structure. So, you know, really, and thanks for sharing that. Mm. Um, I'm curious. So I, I went to university in Newcastle, loved the area, um, really had a great time down there, although it was when BHP was there. So there was a vastly different area now. Mm. Is that where you started looking for your home when you when you started nah, your process? No, nah, no. Nah. So um, Newcastle, I love Newcastle. It'll always have a special place in my heart. But as I left as soon as I finished high school, basically, uh, and I lived in Melbourne, uh, then yeah, Canada, then came back, lived on the north coast. Um, I never considered buying a house in Newcastle because I felt like um, when I was starting to look into buying a property, which was probably late 2020, when I decided like I'm gonna start making a bit of a strategy of what I'm gonna do. Prices were moving very fast in, in yeah. Newcastle as they sort of continued to do over the last couple of years. And I wanted to buy a house by myself. So I sort of knew pretty early that, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, most people are probably going to be buying with a partner. So they've got dual incomes. They'll be able to have a bit more of borrowing capacity compared to me. So I already knew that I would have to look elsewhere to buy a house than sort of buying in Newcastle, which I was I was prepared to uh, prepared to do anyway. So there's, there's a lot of people talk about, um, you know, the challenge of, of saving a deposit and mm. also, you know, getting a lender and getting the getting the borrowing and of of in recent times obviously we've had rising interest rates and so that's made bit getting uh, access to money more difficult and obviously as an individual buying without a partner, you know all of that rests on you. Mm. Now, and then you started from a standing start though. You know we've we've had some students in the program in your first home buy guide who've been saving from university, but not you. No, you've been overseas. You know backpacking and and. <laughs> living life large yeah. living in a dormitory you yeah. know so you've come back and started from scratch saving up so i would imagine you've got, you've had a lot of sort of perhaps saving tips but also tips on how to access borrowing and how to present yourself to banks and that sort of stuff mm. from your dad and, and it'd be great for you to share sure. that with us but obviously that's not quite the same as then going out there and deciding where to buy you obviously decided on a house. You knew it wasn't going to be in Newcastle, obviously, or Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane either. Like, you know, you mm. knew you are going to go regional. So how did you go through that process, I guess, of working out where to buy? And, you know, you you did offer to, to share your mistakes. So we'd love you to yeah, pepper, sure. it with, pepper it with the lessons along the way. Sure, okay. Um, so I guess I'll start with uh, the deposits side of things. Um, I was in a really unique position going to northern New South Wales where I had a family friend who owned a block of land and had a spare caravan handy. So I spent three months uh, living in a caravan for $100 a week. It had AC, thank goodness, because um, <laughs> Grafton, Grafton's a pretty hot place. It's pretty humid and it floods from time to time, which was pretty fun for sure. But um, so my living cost was super low and I was making an okay income uh, compared uh, comparatively. So I was able to save a fair amount of money doing that. Um, and I'm also a fairly frugal person just on by nature, like my parents were always sort of drumming into me to try to be smart with my money as a kid. And I, I, I was always into saving money and I had a little piggy bank uh, as a kid. Um, 
but yeah, I, I sort of, I drummed up, I guess, about 15 grand or so over a year and a half or so by just being frugal, having low living costs, living in share housing to save money that way. And then I was looking into, I guess, the the pros and cons of, I guess the term for it would be satellite cities, like these regional hubs not too far away from the, the major capital cities where the affordability factor might play better. Uh, but maybe it'll still have some good prospects for growing in value in the future. So I was living in Melbourne at the time. I was looking at like Bendigo, a really underrated suburb is called Eagle Hawk. If you ever get a chance to go to Eagle Hawk, you should definitely check that out in Victoria. It's a really nice place right next to Bendigo, just as a nice place with with nice people. Um, so I, I sort of was looking into places like that and decided on Dubbo, where I'm living now, and it's basically bang in the middle of New South Wales. And my sister's been here for seven or eight years. Um, she bought a house here a few years ago, but uh, it just sounded like an okay place to live. Very similar to Newcastle, maybe 20 years ago, where it wasn't as, as busy yet, and it wasn't as, um, I guess, populated. The traffic here is is there's no traffic it's the best so dubbo dubbo is where i landed and affordability wise it was you know sub 500 grand to get into the market here as opposed to and and the land size things like that it's all quite quite good i'm trying to think like honestly the biggest mistakes were probably as i was buying this place or after i've bought this place less so getting to the position of buying if that makes sense that's cool and that's great yeah. to know yeah. because that's precisely a big huge chunk of what we teach in your first home buyer guide and certainly when you when a lot of people think that the biggest challenge is getting their deposit and it's a huge challenge it's it's yeah. absolutely massive but that's that's often what's talked about is getting the finances being the yeah. hardest thing but actually it's it's you sort of then when you're in the middle of it and you you're finding out the realities of how difficult it can be to buy a property so that's really what we want to dig into but before we get okay. to that you Bendigo to Dubbo, and then even mm. Gr Grafton. If you if you sort of think you were starting to expand your search across such a wide area, did mm. you? And you obviously went down to that. Is it Eagle? What you call Eagle Hawk? Yeah, Eagle yeah. Hawk. You obviously went down there. You obviously spent yeah. time in a number of places. Yeah. Like, how did you manage to do that? Did you just get basically take that caravan that you borrowed from your mate, <laughs> you got up to your car, and just start working remotely is that how you actually yeah, cover this sort ground of, sort of yeah so so I, it's it's a long the timeline of this so i apologize if it's a bit like wordy or lengthy um so i covid hit i'm in newcastle start working at a prison in like august finish up there go back to newcastle let's say december of 2022 i didn't spend a lot of time at that job but was able to save a bit lived in Newcastle for six months or so, and then went to Melbourne. And I was living in Melbourne for, I guess, like a year and a bit. Um, and that was when I was starting to look at where can I buy? Can I buy in Bendigo? Can I buy in Ballarat? Can I buy to Eagle Hawk? So I just did road trips to those places. Um, there were some lockdowns going on in Melbourne at yeah, the time Yeah, I was just too, thinking so. you must yeah. have had yeah. yeah. time for one of the yeah, big yeah, lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, um, so I, I, would, I, would go for, I would go on day trips and just check some places out. Um, and get an idea for different areas because there's parts of Eagle Hawk that are quite, uh, I would, the, I guess the non-PC term is dodgy. So um, I would just go to some of these suburbs and check them out. And I got to know some of the locals from the areas to just sort of get to get a feel for the place. But 
I was looking at Bendigo or Ballarat because I thought it's close enough to Melbourne that I can still go back to visit. Um, sure. but doing the drive to and from Melbourne was actually quite a, it's basically a day just driving to and mm -hmm. from, you know, Bendigo. So I decided to, to sort of scratch that. Um, I'm not sure whether it would have been a better investment, to be honest, uh, compared to going to, to buying in Dubbo like I did. But I was sort of thinking if I'm going to move to a country area, I may as well know at least one person and my sister is is a person I'd be happy to live in the same uh, suburb as. So that's sort of why I, I landed on Dubbo. So I came to Dubbo a couple of times and, and just looked around to get a feel for the place and I didn't mind it. And as long as it has Wi-Fi and um, a martial art I do called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I don't really care where I live, to be honest. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and, and the sort of work you do, you, you can um, yeah. be remotely located. Um which is great. And and you've got quite an in-depth knowledge of the lending landscape being a finance analyst, which is actually step two in your first home buyer guide in the process. Now, I really enjoyed your episodes for first home buyers because it gave so many insights into what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, little things like that, that credit issue, yeah, it was only a couple of hundred dollars, but look at it in the big picture. Um, but there are so many other tips from a finance point of view in Can some I just episodes. interject? We were mm. talking off air when we were talking about that. So our listeners have no idea what oh, you're good. talking about. Okay. Um, so do you want to just very quickly touch on that so that... Mm. Myself, you mean me, yeah? Well, your podcast yeah, that yeah. I was listening to. Yeah, yeah for sure, yeah. yeah. So I guess like... Um, the way we try to explain to people the finance side of things, obviously, because we, we, we don't really try to tell teach people or tell people where to buy or how to buy and negotiation and stuff. That's definitely not the wheelhouse we're in. But um, I try to explain to people that uh, you might have a housemate who needs $100 to borrow from you. And you're going to make uh, a judgment call based on who, uh, how well you know this person, how well they are with their money. Do they throw their money away on gambling and sports bet or are they getting a new tattoo every weekend or whatever? Those are all things you're going to consider before you give them $100 that you may never get back. And it's the exact same thing for a bank, but on a much bigger scale because we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. Um, and, and with the credit score side of things like, I guess uh, I think my dad was saying on that podcast, like you might have a hundred dollar or two hundred dollar um, uh, payment that you missed on on a bill or something, and that's going to affect your credit score, and that might not mean a lot to you, but that's sort of a sign to a bank that if you can't even make a two hundred dollar repayment on time, how can you be trusted to make a twenty five hundred dollar mortgage repayment every month? Because it, it's more a sign of your character than it mm. is about anything else. Yeah. I Very think, much so. Yeah, so these insights from the finance point of view are really, really valuable. Yeah. Um, so you obviously all over that, you get that, that side of things. And you've said that the mistakes that you made really were in the actual searching process mm. and the negotiation process. So let's let's dive into that. Tell us when you sort of realise you might have been a bit out of depth. Yeah, okay. So I um, when I came to Dubbo to look at houses, I was uh, living with my sister uh, my family, my mum and my dad came over here too and were helping me just to try and sort of, I guess, support because it was stressful. Like I've never had to call real estate agents all day to ask about inspections and things like that. Um, it was a bit overwhelming. So I was doing that for a week or so, inspecting a couple of properties. And I found this place that I now live in, um, checked it out, really liked it. And uh, I guess 
I guess one side note, we were talking about the deposit and stuff, obviously, real quickly, that um, I saved about 22 grand for my deposit, but my parents gave me 35. I think that's important to um, to note because mm. uh, sometimes like it is possible to get into the market without family help. But for me, it was it, uh, I was going to be priced out of Dubbo without their help. So um, my mum and my dad were also pretty handy in choosing, helping me figure out what properties were worth even negotiating on and putting an offer in on because I know like, hey, some of their money that they have worked hard to get is going to be going towards this property for myself. I, we need to make sure it's a good investment because their money's worth a lot, you know, like I don't want to put that to waste. So we found a property that I liked, uh, put an offer in, chatted to the real estate agent. And I guess the biggest thing I learned was to not take what real estate agents say as gospel because right. we did a, we did a, um, we did a, uh, a pest and build. Sorry, I had a mind blank. We ha we did a pest and build report, and the pest build pest and build report came back saying that there were some uh, leaks in the tile area of the shower and the laundry, and that was seeping into the ground and was causing some shifting of the 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 ground below the property. And so um, we were speaking to the agent and saying like we've noticed these issues. It's going to need a little bit of repair work. So we're gonna we'd want to talk to the the owners about negotiating a I guess a reduction in the in the purchase price and over the phone yeah no hundred percent that's all good like the 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 vendors are happy to take three grand off the purchase price so I'm thinking that's great all good we'll go ahead so we contacted our conveyance I started chatting to the conveyancer about getting a contract ready and when the contract came to us the vendor wasn't happy with more than $1,500 off the purchase price. So I've called the real estate agent and it was like we'd never had that conversation. So I was very, very grumpy that day. <laughs> um, and, and obviously a real estate agent, to be, I guess, objective about it, a real estate agent's job is not to serve me, it's to serve the the seller of the house. So I, I sort of, you know, um, it's a lesson learned, I guess, for myself. Um, and I ended up moving forward with the property with a little bit of a discount and, and bought it the way it was. But that was the biggest thing for me, to be honest, was I was probably a little naive in in sort of what what the process could look like and how sometimes it felt to me like they were just keen to get a sale and weren't <laughs> really care they didn't really care that they had said that and weren't sure that the conveyancer would follow through with it I guess they were just more keen on getting the property sold and look I'm super happy because I've had this place for a year and a bit the capital growth has been pretty great and I, I really love Dubbo and it's been a really fun time being here but that would be my biggest thing for sure was just being a little more aware of getting things in writing I guess instead right. of just having I guess a gentleman's agreement which in my life has usually been okay I've not really done a lot of things with real estate agents before where I've had to think about, yeah, get this in writing before you move ahead on on anything. Because that nearly, I think, uh, that nearly ruined it where I considered just not just pulling out because I was just, I, I felt like I'd been done dirty uh, and I didn't, I didn't like that at all. It's almost a life lesson, not just a property lesson yeah. um, that, that you raised there because uh, we always say it's not worth the paper that it's not written on when people make verbal offers on True. properties because in Queensland, you know, you make a written offer on a contract. It's a different process in New South Wales with the, okay. the exchange. Um, but but I think, you you know, you you really have highlighted something that in life is a really good lesson and, and, and that is that anything that's agreed should be in writing in some format or another. 
And it almost sounds like the agent might have spoken without consultation to the owner um, about agreeing to something verbally that that they should not have. Yeah. Yeah, look, it was probably (laughs) not, um, yeah, I don't know. I was about to just say, like, news flash: a real estate agent does something dodgy. Who would have thought? But never mind. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. And More it, absent-minded. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like, <laughs> it's um, it was definitely a learning experience, and I'm I'm happy that I sort of pushed through and just went on with it, and I guess like decided it was still worth. Uh, I guess like I could have let my ego get involved in it mm-hmm. and, and allowed myself to pull out of it because I had gotten my feelings hurt. And sort of missed out on a pretty good investment to sort of get that first property uh, bought, you know. So I'm happy I, I, I sort of stuck with my guns and didn't let my ego get involved too much. But for a few hours at least, I was definitely annoyed. <laughs> that is one of our, our Home Buyer Academy principles is that don't let the process of negotiation get in the way of you moving forward on, on any particular property. And it is very easy to get you know, your knickers in a knot or get your nose out of joint or any other of those little sayings because, you know, it is personal. It's your money. It's like, hang on, I thought I had an agreement. Um, You told me that. No, I didn't. You know, if it went to a court of law, you've got no evidence. You know, you Mm. can't prove that they did or didn't agree to that. Mm. And in what they're doing, assuming that, you know, is exactly as you said there, they're keeping the ball rolling, they're moving things along, they're getting you to get the contract to a, a lawyer or conveyancer because, of course, that's, um, that's uh, what's that called? Um, there's a there's a behaviour or bias that that is, and I'm trying to think what it is. It's a continuity bias, I think it's called, and, and that is that once we're on a path, we like to continue on that path. And okay. so, you know, so there's a lots and lots of um, biases and human behavioural elements to buying property. Mm. And so you could have gone either way. You could have gone, you know, you could have knee-jerked and, and got your ego involved and said, that's it, I don't like you, I don't like the way you dealt with me, I'm not mm. buying this property. Or what has ended up happening, you've gone, well, I'm actually, I'm in the process, I've moved one step closer to owning it. And that's really what the agent was hoping you'd do. Yeah, and it still might have been the best thing for you. It's not to say it wasn't the best thing, yeah. but but being aware of how effectively we're all being controlled or influenced, shall we say, mm. by the process, is something that that I think does catch out not just first home buyers. It catches out buyers across the spectrum when they realise when they sit back afterwards and look back and think, oh, actually things were happening to me, and I thought I might have been in control, but I sort of wasn't. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like um, there was a, uh, th- for me, like the lesson was definitely that uh, to not take things personally, I guess. Like I always have stri- stri- strived, I don't know what the right word is. Striven? Striven, yeah, word? <laughs> I don't think striven's a word, but it sounds good, so we'll run with it. Uh, I've always striven to not take things personally in life, but if I'm not getting tested on whether I'm actually going to be like that, I don't actually know. And that was definitely an opportunity where I could have just taken my ball and gone home, I guess. Um, mm. And it would have cost me for sure. Because at that point too, like speaking objectively, I'd I'd paid for the pest and build report. I'd paid conveyancing fees to at least get some engagement from uh, our mate who's the conveyancer. And I guess like I'm happy I, I pulled through and sort of stuck to the course um, and also maybe just trying to, something you were just saying about control, like uh, something in Kung Fu Panda, which is a great King, kids movie from back in the day about letting go of the illusion of control and like 
there's only so much you can actually put your hand on and control and the rest of it's just sort of up to whatever else is going on and um obviously in the house purchase part of it all i could do is sort of stick to the course and hope that it worked out and it, and it, it definitely has um so that's been sort of cool now you've that's, you've, that's an interesting point because knowledge is power isn't it mm. yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that you get your life lessons from kids' movies. I think that's 100%. pretty fantastic. <laughs> um, you bought the property, you said, about 18 months ago. Yeah. So we're recording this in February 2024. So that means that you would have bought it and settled at a time when interest rates were starting to rise quite yeah. markedly. So you Correct. bought with a... Um, it was a ten percent deposit in total. Yeah, so yeah. I got a I got a spot on the first home buyer scheme to get a stamp duty exemption. I think, I think I had a ten percent deposit. I don't remember to be honest. Um, I, so I settled, uh, I settled on the 29th of November, twenty twenty two, and I moved in a month later. So twenty uh, December twenty ninth. Just but just after Christmas, twenty twenty two, I moved all of my stuff in a trailer from Melbourne to Dubbo. Um, <laughs> it was an interesting drive for sure. Uh, so yeah, and and rates were already moving. So I had, I'd set up, uh, I set up on a variable uh, interest rate loan, um, and every month from the from the very start, I uh, my my repayments were moving. Uh, so I made the judgment call. I think about three months in to fix for two years. Um, I didn't, or yeah, fixed for two years. I think I wanted to fix for longer, but I hadn't, I didn't have the loan to value ratio to make it work because I'd barely paid off anything at the, at that moment. Like the first couple of months, you're basically just paying interest costs to uh, say thanks uh, to the mm. bank for, for getting the money in the first Thanks for place. lending it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, that's an interesting point. So with fixing, because maybe you do want to just quickly explain what fixed and variable rates are mm. in case anyone's not aware of it and what, what you said there which i wasn't aware about was that you might not be able to fix if your lvr is sure. low so do you mm. want to give us a little bit more info on that sure sure so um obviously like most banks that you'll walk into it's like my dad uses this analogy i'm stealing it from the old man uh if you walk into mcdonald's they have a burger like a beef a cheeseburger they have a chicken burger they've got fries and they've got nuggets and a bank is very similar you walk into any bank they've got a variable rate home loan product which means the interest rate can fluctuate up and down depending on the month and usually it follows it generally follows what the rba is doing which is the the reserve bank of australia um but a fixed rate loan uh you can choose to fix for one to five years depending on the bank um, and those interest rates will stay fixed. So you've got certain uh, certainty in your mortgage repayments every month for a fixed period. And obviously, if you fix your interest rate, let's say at 5%, but then the RBA starts cutting their interest rates, the banks will follow, but you're still stuck paying 5%. So there's a con obviously there, and it's a risk you're, you're taking, which is, uh, I guess, a risk I had to be um, comfortable with, which was, yeah, like, rates were moving upwards i had my home loan i think i think my home loan started at like five something five point something percent and was moving and moving every you know every month there was another 0.25 percent interest rate increase uh and the day after i'd get a letter from my bank saying like your rates going up this is your new <laughs> repayment so i just made the choice like i'm gonna fix for for two years um and just bet it's to me i think of it as a bet you're basically betting that 
the RBA is not going to cut rates in that two years. And if they are, then, you know, it is what it is. You're going to lose a bit of money in interest. But I just, I was comfortable where my uh, repayments were and I wasn't really comfortable with them going any higher than where they sort of were sitting at. So uh, I fixed for two for two years, probably early last year. I reckon about, I feel like we got 13 rate rises or 14. I reckon about the fifth rate rise I fixed. And then every month yeah. I just watched it keep going up and I'm sitting there going, because <laughs> my rate stayed the same. It was very nice. Because you've got certainty then yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like when, when we talk to people, I guess, from the home loan side of things, uh, I don't know if it's a smart option to try to out, like to bet and win against banks. I don't think you can really do it. It's more about certainty in your repayments. Like if you're comfortable, like my mortgage repayment's about 2,500 a month, I think, give or take 2,500. I was comfortable with that figure. That's a figure I'm sort of happy to pay every month and I know I can meet that and I'll have a little bit of money left over after payments and expenses for my income. Um, But if that goes up too high, then I'm going to be struggling to make those repayments and living off, you know, ramen noodles. So I would rather just stick where it was and sort of, um, you know, cop that for two years. And if if the rates go down in that time, it is what it is. Like, I guess the stats that get thrown around a lot is the average interest rate you'll you'll pay over the life of your loan is roughly 7%. So I try to, I try to, um, I don't know. There's things you can't control, like no. RBA stuff. Like that's <laughs> not in my control at all from the back room of my house in Dubbo, New South Wales, you know? So <laughs> all I can all I can do is just try to roll with the punches and do what I can to sort of adapt to it. Now owning a house has brings with it responsibilities, right? Mm. So and and lots of responsibilities. Paying your paying your mortgage is one of them. But maintaining that property. Yeah. is is a huge uh, responsibility. It's a personal responsibility because that is actually an investment in the ongoing um, value of that property, yeah. Yeah. making sure that it's it's remains saleable at all times, that it's actually not deteriorating in any way. Now, obviously, you had some, some work to do uh, in terms of subfloor there. You were talking about water, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Did you do it? Did you prioritise yeah. that? T- tell us a bit about sort of how you found that side of owning a house. Yeah, so I... um. I got uh, pretty early on, I got a a builder out here to go under the house and sort of assess the extent of work that would be necessary to do. And I had a little bit of money saved uh, sort of post purchase that I had in some shares that I could use to pay for things. So pardon me, I I spoke to him and I ended up, yeah, getting that all done. So like my house was built in 1970. So um, it had done it had had a lot of maintenance done in the lead up like over the years before i bought the place but yeah we retiled the retiled the bathroom and the shower and we uh fixed all of the i don't know the technical terms for this so any tradies listening are going to be disgusted but i I don't know the the base of the house underneath the shower in that where it would leak because like we've got we had brick brick form work under the house holding it up and yep. the water damage was so bad that the bricks were molding and powdering. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So so we basically reinforced all the structure underneath those those sort of problem points mm. um, to make sure that the frame would be okay. And then yeah, we re retiled everything so it wouldn't be leaking anymore. Um, but uh, just things never stop, do they? With a the house now, no, like they don't. You just, they don't. You, there's always something else to do. Like 
I need to retile other places so it looks a little cosmetically nicer too. But that's that'll be for a, a year or so down the track, I think. Damien, it is so true because if you do, if you say, oh, well, I'll just do this room and then you look at the room next to that room mm-hmm. that's now beautiful and you go, yeah. well, that looks really old and tired now. Yeah. I really need to do something. So it's almost like you build your own um, rod for your own back because you're making one area beautiful and then you want yeah. to make everything else sort yeah. of catch up and match up. Yeah. There's you know, a, oh, sorry. Real was, quick, the uh, anxiety bit, like, I don't yeah. know if you, I'm sure you guys experience this too, but I just, like, every every person I've spoken to who's been a homeowner for a lot longer than me, I would ask them, like, for the first month or two, I just felt anxious all the time at everything uh-huh. that needed to be done for the house, like, oh, I need to trim this bush back, I need to change yeah. this, I need to fix this up, the, the, the lawns don't look even, whatever it was, and I just couldn't get over that anxiety, but now... I don't feel it, but for the for the first couple of months, it was awful, like just being, I guess, anxious at all the things I needed to get done to the place. But I think that comes with a bit of experience, I guess, and just being a bit used to it, that there's always something else to be worked on, and that'll probably never end, mm-hmm. and to be sort of okay with that. I think a lot of people, they sort of say, oh, look, I don't want to buy a townhouse or I don't want to buy an apartment, right? And because it's not a good investment or for whatever reason. And this is one of the benefits of buying a strata property is that a lot of that stuff is actually looked after by the strata, by the owners corporation or the the strata uh, committee or or however it's structured. Mm. And I often think that with my own house, right? So I renovated my house that I live in now and we finished it, well, I finished it in um, February 2020. Great timing for lockdown. That's great timing, yeah. Yeah, that, and there's there are ongoing. I just had all my gutters cleaned out because if I don't do that regularly, I will get leaks, right? Because that backs up. I've got jacaranda trees around me. That's a constant, <laughs> right? There's also um, yeah, okay. The the windows. I was outside thinking, oh, when those windows were put in, God, they only put one cone of paint on it. They look like shit, and, <laughs> you know. And and also you have to you have to maintain painted areas, right? You have yeah. to make sure that they yeah. they are. Because timber will rot if it's not coated properly, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, I mm. need to get them painted again. It's only been four years. Oh, what was the deal? Anyway, I realised that actually a good wash will rub off. It was basically just grime because I do live in the inner city. Sydney. Okay. <laughs> Got the hose on them. Saved myself so much money on a paint job that it wasn't actually necessary because mm. here I was thinking that it actually needed paint, didn't. It was just a bit of road okay. grime. But what a th- these are the sorts of things that are that absolutely ongoing. And I did sit down and I worked out with the pest inspections, with the leaf, the guttering being cleared, with the, the trimming of the hedges and the gardening, with the, you know, little bits of maintenance, getting the handyman in to do various things. Adding plus the house insurance, you add all of that up, and I worked out. Look, if I really did go and get a really nice big three bedroom apartment somewhere, I might be better off. The strata mm-hmm. levies yeah. might be less than right. when I add all these things up. And a lot of people underestimate how much the, that constant work is required for a house. So, mm. a little shout out for your townhouses and your um and yeah. your apartments for a moment. Mm. I do like having a house, of course. Um, yeah. And are you finding though? What other surprising things are there? Um, now that you own a home, um, how do you think of thing? Do you think of life differently? Do you do you feel really settled in the area, or are you starting to think, well, where am I going to live next? How does mm. that change the way Damien sort of moves through the world? It hasn't at all, to be honest. Like uh, I, I was really lucky. My dad took a job when I was a little kid to work for Wembley Stadium as a sales worker, like selling corporate seating 
for this big soccer stadium in England. So I moved to England when I was a little kid um, and started school there and lived there once or twice for like six months at a time when I in the early 2000s. So I'm sort of used to moving around every year or two. And that's, I think that's not changing. I think I'll probably move out of Dubbo next year or the end of this year to, to go somewhere else just to sort of, I like traveling, I get itchy. So I don't know if that'll change, but um, I sort of, I feel like the um, the reasons for why I wanted to become wealthy are not the reasons I want to be wealthy now. Like I, maybe in 2020, the reasons I had were more based on, I guess, uh, consumerist or cosmetic reasons, I guess, like I wanted a certain car or I want a house that's this size, this close to a beach and I want this and that. But now the the reason Dubbo that's a long way from a beach yeah, just quietly <laughs> oh we've got a couple of beaches they're just on rivers here right. they're called beaches though <laughs> but no nah, they're not very nice they're probably closer to that new beach in Penrith than they are like an actual beach um but uh so you've guess, changed yeah. yeah you've changed your approach to what you feel how you approach priorities or wanting to yeah. be wealthy and what yeah. do you mean by being wealthy like what's your definition of that uh, uh it used to probably be uh not you know it used to probably be being able to wear really fancy clothes and drive really nice cars to be dead like completely honest but i think now it's probably to figure out a way to help my friends get rich um by basically having enough money that i can lend some people money so they can buy houses because i just see i don't like not to i'm sorry to be pessimistic on a property investing show but like i'm sort of worried for my generations like economic outcomes because it seems like anecdotally i don't have any data for this but anecdotally most of my friends that have are able to buy a house is because their parents have money to help them um they've obviously got a good head on their shoulders to be trying to do it but uh the ones that have help are vastly better off than the ones that have nothing um and we're seeing university studies that are sort of coming up with this sort of intergenerational gap but mm. Um, all I can do, uh, I can't influence policy, I can't influence economics, but if I have enough money that I can give money to some of my close friends so they have a deposit to get a house, so they're sort of out of that rental trap, I guess, uh, that's sort of why I want to be wealthy now. It, it used to be just very selfish, um, which isn't, there's nothing wrong with that, to be honest, in my opinion, but now it's a little more selfless where I want to try and help other people get to a point where they're less worried about money because it's an it's not a fun place to be and like some people uh some people might not have the opportunity without help so if i can sort of help them that'd be pretty cool and i'd probably feel better doing that too you know so i guess like that's probably how my uh goals or, or thoughts about it have changed if that makes sense it's quite admirable mm. damien and and um to have been able to achieve that, as you say, you did have some help from yeah. parents from a financial point of view, also from um, a, a mentoring and, and guiding point of view. Um, I, I think, you know, I certainly went down that path as well. My parents were guarantors once they didn't put money in. Um, the ability to use their property for security was the only reason my brother and I could co-invest together. Right. So, And there are so many different ways that people can get into the market now through um uh Veronica, we we interviewed um Evan uh Thorley from Thorley, Longview yeah. uh, recently 
Um, so there's there's different ways of getting in, and and you're almost suggesting that you'd like to be part of that sh- shared equity or or um, Bank of Damien kind of a, a yeah. approach, and 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 that would be a really interesting thing to explore. And I'd love to kind of track back with you sure. in a couple of years and see. Yeah, yeah. How that's progressed and how you, what your thoughts are around that, and and has it had success for some of your friends, and and also where you've ended up. Yeah, for sure. Because it sounds to me like those feet will keep on walking. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, it will be interesting. Like I, I think um, uh, the biggest one for me recently was seeing like uh, you see the uh, I think Veronica and I may have talked about this in the past too, but um, the the biggest like age sector or cohort of rising for rising homelessness is like women in their in their late 40s to mid 50s um and there's obviously a big gap in like superannuation at the at retirement age between women and men so the biggest thing i've been doing recently is getting as many of my friends that are women to invest in something themselves whether it's just like having a little bit of a share portfolio that's separate to anything that they get into investment wise if they ever have a have a partner they invest with just so as a few of my female friends have a little bit more money in the bank than if I hadn't spoken to them. That's sort of how I've started doing this, I guess, and just like giving them some money, but like to invest. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I hope I can do something uh, helpful, even if it's just a one or two of my friends, because, you know, why not? Like, I can't take the money with me. And I think you should try and help others if you have the financial means to do so. I think it's... um. I think it's a bit selfish if you don't, to be honest. I think um, what you're pointing to there in terms of inequity in in our society is growing. There's no doubt about it. And there's been a lot of press around about how difficult it is as property prices keep rising. Um, and also the rental situation is pretty dire as well, that, you know, there are more hurdles for first home buyers. The age of the average first home buyer has gone up a decade in the last however yeah. long um and it's what we're talking about is you know mm. that growing ho- cohort of homelessness as well which is exacerbated also by a rental shortage so there's a lot of systemic issues that we have in our property market um that do help those who are already in the market to continue to do well and those who are yet to get in the market or or are never going to get into the market is a, a challenge so you're highlighting those things we home buyer academy we're here to help people get onto the property ladder in the mm-hmm. safest way because the worst even worse is if you somehow squirrel and get on the get a property and then it doesn't do a job for you it actually makes you worse off so therefore it's really important for people who can buy a property find a way to buy a property not give up if there is a hope for them and to also not get sold down the river and buying the wrong type of property mm. There's a lot of things there that we that we bring to the table to help people, but we recognise that we are all coming from a, a place of privilege. The reality is that, you know, Megan and I, we're old enough to have been able to get in a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're privileged enough to have parents who have been able to help you. Obviously, Megan and I will be able to help our kids when it's their yeah. turn to buy into the property market. So, so from where we're talking, but obviously acknowledging that there are people that are not um, as privileged, there are a number of initiatives that our governments are trying to put in place to help people who don't have access to the bank of mum and dad, which is the fifth biggest lender now, yeah. um, to uh. get into the market. And we are highlighting some of those those um, initiatives uh, through on this podcast as well. 
So I think that's really great, Damien, that, you know, you've had a real mindset shift over that period of time yourself since you've been saving and also mm. um, become a property owner. Tell us what's your, as we sort of wrap this up, what's your one piece of advice then for first home buyers who are still climbing the mountain or or contemplating whether they can climb this mountain? Damn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, eh? Like I think... um. Like you said, there's definitely ways to do it. Um, and it seems like, like anecdotally, we've had a couple of loan clients that are like friends getting into uh, getting a house together and they're going to set up like they're going onto a home loan as two people in a partnership <laughs> rather than a couple or whatever. So there's definitely <laughs> options. But um, I would just say to try to endure because I, I saved up for a deposit for two and a bit years or so, uh, to just under three years uh, before I bought my first place. And there were moments on that journey where once you've sort of set up a, a, a wash, rinse, repeat sort of process to saving your money, it's really boring. <laughs> and you, you think that you, you look for other ways that maybe you're missing to to sort of get the gains in your you know your savings when you're trying to build up that deposit when you re when if you sit back and be objective you're actually doing everything you're supposed to do you just have to stay the course and staying the course is the hardest bit a lot of the times like mm. if you think about being good with your money or being a good cash saver the way it is for losing weight like the the strategies for losing weight are pretty basic then you just have to be consistent. It's not about any, you know, special trick or special food. It's just being consistent and consistency over time will yield the results. And it's the same, I guess, with the savings. And I guess if if buying a property is really uh, what you want to do, you'll find a way to do it. Um, and, and being okay, I guess, with not getting too, I guess, flustered or frustrated in comparing yourself to other people because... Um, I guess you were talking before about the average age to get your first property. Like I, I turned 27 a couple of days ago. I think I bought my place just before I turned 26. Just before I turned 26, I bought this. Um, and even I find myself thinking, oh, well, I know 27-year-olds that have three houses. And I'm thinking, man, what are you, like, what are you doing? How can you, how can you let yourself be in that mind pattern of like, just go as far as you can go. Don't worry about everybody else because... You'll just, uh, I think, uh, I don't know who quoted this and it wasn't Kung Fu Panda, but like uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I don't know who said that, but I read mm. that one time and that's, it's yeah. very true. Like just run your own race. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. If that's what, if you want to buy a house, you'll figure it out. You just got to stay the course and sort of do the things you know you should do to get there. So very wise really very, so wise really, it is very no but it is it's <laughs> I think really wise sharing this you know you, you're a similar age to a lot of people who are saying thinking will this ever happen mm. for me and i think it is quite it's not a comparison for them to say well he did it but i haven't mm. it is a way of finding um things that have worked for other people and then going well will that work for me can i use that okay he learned that maybe i can avoid uh, you know, and then you, when you put everything in the right steps in the right order, using all that information from other people isn't so much about comparison. It can sometimes be about inspiration, um, particularly if you can get that process right and the steps in the right order, and then you do the 
rinse, repeat, rinse, mm-hmm. repeat. You know, it just that consistency of why am I doing this? I know why I'm doing this. I know the steps that I have to do. This is part of the process. And then when I've got it, I know the next thing I need to do is my pre-approval. And when I've got it, I know the next thing I need to do. So it's it's that continuation of climbing the mountain, mm-hmm. but getting some inspiration from other people on how they've done it. Yeah. I, lo- I love that you say it's boring. Because oh, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's, yeah, wealth it, through property largely is boring. But this is the thing that in, in property in particular is full of, you know, get rich quick schemes and all sorts of palaver. There's all deposit accelerators and there's all sorts of little tricks out there to try to get you to part with your money or or try to get you to feel like there's a, a shortcut, there's a, there's a way to do it, you know, other than just the hard way. Yeah. And there are, there are ways where you can get in sooner than often people think that they can get in sooner, but I love that. Once you get into a discipline of saving and, and it's boring. Mm. Brilliant. Well, that's great. Great. Thank you, Damien, for sharing your wisdom yeah really appreciate that <laughs> your learnings your mistakes yeah. and 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 these are all things that we really want people to to hear so they can go oh okay i didn't know anything about that mm. i need to really think about it but now on possible. that note you know as a as a listener our, our listeners to the podcast you might think that we cover everything you need to know in these podcasts but a word of warning we don't we just scratched the surface here. In fact, one of our students told us that it was like putting the pieces of a puzzle together in the right place rather than just looking at a whole pile of colours and shapes. And I really like that analogy. Mm. If you really want to be an educated first-time buyer, you need to learn all the steps and how to do everything in the right order. And our first-home buyer guide course only costs $990 and you get direct access to us to help guide you through your negotiations and your property decisions, actually, every single mm. week. Now, trust me, trust us, you'll overpay a hell of a lot more than $1,000 if you don't know what you're doing. Just today in our campfire session, we were sitting there talking to um, we won't give a name away yet, but we're going to interview in a few weeks we because <laughs> one of our students has just today had the, fi- the final loan approval come through unconditional Sweet. and is moving into unconditional contract on her first home. And it's so exciting because we went through that whole experience with her, mm. guiding her along the way week by week, what to do, how to structure offers, what properties not to go for, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So honestly, our clients in our businesses pay us tens, plural, of thousands of dollars. In fact, some of our clients in our buyer's agency businesses pay us the deposit that you've just saved up, right, for us to do all that work for them. We're here every week to guide you through. You can't get expert advice like that for that price. Mm. So, well, you can actually. You can pay 990 bucks, get the course, <laughs> and join us. You can't get it for free. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> That's for sure. Thank you so much, Damien. It's really Appreciate been a great it. chat. Easy, mate. Thanks again for the time. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first-home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first-home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first-home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, 
please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.